With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. Okay, Pittsburgh Steelers fans, it is time for the second half of the Curtain Call podcast. My name is Michael Beck. Once again, joined by Jeffrey Benedict. Jeffrey, the draft is over. Rejoice. We can uh, we can relax a little bit. Uh, how, how do you feel uh, a week removed from the draft? Well, a, a few days, really, but uh, the week after the draft. Uh, I'm still I'm still working to get caught up, man. I am, like, neck deep in film rooms I'm working on. Uh, so I'm, I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. I didn't have to do a film room on uh, Najee Harris. That was uh, – Kevin Smith took that one. But I've been doing uh, Pat Fryermuth and then Dan Moore, the offensive lineman. That that one I kind of got in the weeds on and ended up with like 70, 70 clips of film that I had to go through and whittle down to a reasonable number. Uh, for everyone listening right now, I, I do want to mention we will have another guest to talk about Najee Harris in the second half of the second half show. <laughs> so if you do the math, the last 15 minutes of this one, we'll get into some more. Uh, on the Alabama running back and more of his kind of personal side. But um, there was a little bit of Steelers-ish related news today, Jeffrey, and that uh, being Alejandro Villanueva's introductory press conference with the Baltimore Ravens. He, he kind of took a shot at TikTokers, kind of took a shot at, at the offense being one-dimensional, and you might be able to pin, pin that on Penn. But do you think that's Alejandro actually trying to dig back at the Steelers, or is that just is that just Big Al? I, I think that's what happens when you get Alejandro Villanueva in front of cameras and with the media. He's got a reputation for being a, a goofy guy. Um, and he stayed out of the media, largely in Pittsburgh. He tried to stay out of the media. Um, while at the same time, you know, he would like show up on random videos. Like yeah. he would show up behind people and do stuff. So there's a little bit of that like attention goofball in there that's kind of, you know, but at the same time, he kind of avoided the press. So I, I think you're just seeing a dude who's a little different. And and if if you know, if you've been around special forces people, like they're a little different. They're like they're a different breed of people. Uh and, and they're often have have a weird side to them, like like Alejandro Vanilla Villanueva seems to have. I don't take any offense to it. I know people are upset that he went to the Ravens. I don't care. You know the Steelers didn't want him. It's not like he. It's not like he demanded more money or told him he wouldn't play for him anymore. The Steelers were like, "Yeah, we're done with you." You know, so he went someplace else. And who wanted him? The Ravens. He went there. Now he's a Raven. You know what? He's going to come to Pittsburgh and do his best to beat us. That's what he's going to do. Just like I would expect Chris Wormley to come to the Steelers and not be like, "Oh, the Ravens are better. I like <laughs> the Ravens better." 
I wish I was still a Raven, and I'm sad that I'm not because the Pittsburgh Steelers stink. And then, like, go play the Ravens and be like, I'm going to suck so that my old team will win. No one wants that. That'd be stupid. Alejandro Villanueva is a Raven now. He's going to do his best to be a Raven, you know? Uh, Respect what he did while he was here, and he's not here anymore. So, whatever. Yeah, honestly, when it comes to his comments today, the way I, I think about it is that he just genuinely doesn't like doing that. And if he's going to have to do media stuff, he's going to have some fun with it. And like he he knows it's going to set off a firestorm online. But the guy still has a flip phone, so he doesn't care. So like and he, I, I think- and he doesn't have to care if Pittsburgh flips out about it. Like for once, no one in the organization is going to be like, "Hey, hey, Al, like seriously." Don't don't set off the media and don't set off Pittsburgh fans. Like, don't get him. No one in the Ravens organization will care. He doesn't have to worry about that now. So it doesn't matter. Like, David DeCastro is one of his best friends. And and he was and they asked him about David DeCastro, and he said, Well, playing next to Kevin Zeitler will be an upgrade. Like, <laughs> yeah. it's just, I mean, come on. That's either he is going out of his way to burn every possible bridge he ever could, or he's just a, a weird dude that doesn't care and he's goofing off. And I doubt David DeCastro will care. Oh, like when I heard that comment, I'm like, oh yeah, this guy's just having fun with this. He like he he doesn't care about what's going on right now. He's just trying trying to have a good time. And really, the guy just signed a 14 million dollar contract. He doesn't like doing the media. Whatever, who cares? Like, yeah. If if my biggest competition company came to me and said, hey, we'll double your salary, you know what I'd say? See you guys. <laughs> like I'm, I'm gone. a Ravens fan now. Yeah, exactly. Like <laughs> if Baltimore beat down said, hey, Mike. Actually, I, I don't know if, if double would be enough to go right for Baltimore yeah, beat down, but uh, yeah, that'd be rough. I'll have to come up with the with the number large enough. I don't know if it's been invented yet. <laughs> yeah, you but got, like if you if they gave you a be, really really great number, I could be to go cover bought. the Cleveland Browns and live in <laughs> Cleveland. Oh, and live in Cleveland. Yeah, you still you'd be like, you know what? Okay, I can try and get out of here later. But, you know, I'll take the money. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if it's like life-changing money, how could anyone ever say no? That's one of the things I always think of. It's like, how can you blame a player for taking a huge raise? You can't because you do the same thing. Yeah, yeah, uh, you'd be dumb not to. Oh, exactly. But speaking of free agents, we are now in the thick – I use air quotes because it hasn't been too busy yet – but uh, of the post-compensatory free agency period. So now you can sign anyone without penalty – do you expect the Steelers to sign someone? Because I know Keith Butler, after they drafted uh, Quincy Roche, specifically mentioned, like, hey, our free agency isn't done yet, and we kind of expect to sign another outside linebacker. Does that make you believe, okay, you know what? They might actually bring someone else in. Yeah, I don't think they're done. Uh, they, they usually do add some people late in the process after UDFAs and all those things. So I don't exp- I'm not, I won't be surprised. I don't think it'll be any any major acquisition. I don't expect that. Nor do uh, I get the Steelers move would be to sign Anthony Chicolo and Artie Burns. That'd be like the Steelers thing to do. It's like, oh, they're here once. Let's bring them back in, pay them nothing, but it's a body. Like that that would be the Steelers thing to do. And like I, I probably would feel the opposite of joy from those signings. So. <laughs> uh, be- you know what, Chicolo, I'd be fine with. He he knows everything here and he's done it forever, but I mean, that's that's kind of – those moves would kind of be desperation moves. You know yeah. what I'm saying? That, that wouldn't be like 
That wouldn't be a move where you're sitting there saying, yes, we got better. I'd be like, well, we got someone who we know brings us a certain level of play. Uh, Andrew Wilbar throws this in, so I'll, I'll bring this up. He, he asks us, do you think if uh, the Steelers could scrap enough cash together, they could go after Eric Fisher? Uh, he has experience in the zone blocking scheme. Uh, really, th- there are other names of tackles we could throw out. I, I know uh, Dennis Kelly has kind of been a, a hot commodity these days, but I don't really anticipate the Steelers chasing another tackle, especially because they signed Joe Haig and drafted Dan Moore. And you, you look at this tackle depth chart and you're like, all of a sudden, like, man, like they couldn't fit someone else in. Like, would you agree with that, Jeffrey? Yeah, I yeah, I, I think so. You you could always cut. I know you'd be a fan of cutting Joe Hag just for the compensatory process. Well, he's not going to play anyway. So and he struggled <laughs> a lot last year. So that, that's where it comes from for me. Yeah, like if you if you can get a veteran to come in for a similar rate. I don't. I don't know. This isn't my. This isn't my ballpark. This isn't. This isn't something I'm. I'm familiar with. This would be a question for Dave Schofield. But if they signed like a guy for the same, like if you gave a veteran tackle the same contract you give Joe Hag and you cut Joe Hag, the way it seems to me is that 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 would no longer you know be a negative on our uh, on our our compensatory formula. I believe I could be completely wrong. <laughs> So I was looking it up because the compensatory formula changed a little bit this year and it made me a, like a little bit better about keeping Joe Hague around. If he plays less than his career average snaps, which if I my memory serves me right, because I read it this morning, was 36.4% of the Steelers' offensive snaps. If he plays less than that, the Steelers could regain that, uh, I believe it would be six-round selection that they uh, would have gotten from Mike Hilton's loss. Uh, and it would also mean uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers would lose one of their compensatory selections that they were supposed to receive. So it comes down to playing time. If he's the swing tackle, hopefully Dan Moore beats him because we know he's able to play both sides. Then ipso facto, all of a sudden they got they got their pick and they still have the player too. So I guess from that sense, it could work out. Um, but by the same token, by the hmm. same token, when you're going for percentage of snaps, that means you know, Mike Hilton, that's a factor for, you know, the guys the Steelers just lost too. Uh, and Bud Dupree, um, that's a lot of snaps for Bud Dupree. That's a lot of snaps for, that's a decent number of snaps for Mike Hilton. So we'll see. I mean, we could lose picks from just, I mean, if Mike Hilton slips to like the fourth cornerback and barely plays, we're not getting money for him either. Uh, if it does go on career average though, I, I think it would like in that sense, I think it, that could like do a hit on Mike Hilton because all those early years and then the, the the New England year that was he never played and so I, I don't know like there, there's some nuances to that I think we could probably take a couple hours to really dive into but <laughs> <laughs> yeah it'll be one of those things that it's much harder to figure out until the season is pretty much over no exactly um outside of that looking at the Steelers draft today do you think this team is still good enough to compete? in the AFC North and potentially win this title again? I do. I, th- I think they are. Uh, I think the offense is going to be better. Uh, and people break down the offensive line. We've talked about this before, but the offensive line is close. Or, you know, like the current offensive line that we have right now is at least close to what they had last year. And if you're looking at the games where they were banged up and J.C. Hassenhauer was playing, this line should be significantly better than that line was. 
it should be significantly better just because it was in such a bad shape for those games. Uh, I think our depth is actually better. Maybe our starting lineup doesn't have the same, you know, name recognition to it, uh, same experience to it, but depending on what happens at center, I mean, you're, you're swapping for most of last season, you're swapping Alejandro Villanueva for Zach Banner, which is a boost to the run game and a negative in the passing game. Uh, Kevin Dotson's going to start. That's a boost. Uh, and then we lost Pouncey, which is a negative. Uh, his decline is is overrated. People are just used to him being incredibly good. So that when he's kind of a, you know, like average NFL center, uh, it, it looked bad. Uh, looking at this, continue looking at this class, do you have a, a favorite pick? I have a couple guys I really, really like. Uh, the center, Kendrick Green, big fan of that pickup. Uh, I haven't. Uh, I'm trying to remember the sixth round pick, the the edge rusher, uh, Roche. Roche, yeah. He, I haven't gotten into his film yet. I, I'm excited for that one. Uh, I had to get I had to get uh, the linebacker, the lineman done first. So he's got potential. I loved, I loved the 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 pick of uh, Buddy Johnson. He uh, he's a good one. I love I love his profile. I love what he brought on the field. So I'm I'm excited. Even the even the cornerback we selected, I was saying, you know, we need to pick someone who fits the scheme, fits a role in the defense, not someone who can, you know, just be a, a raw talent that we can hopefully mold into something. And that's exactly what this kid is. Uh he he is a guy who fits specific role in the defense and can is is gonna have a chance to play in the dime. And kind of fill that Cameron Sutton spot that Cam Sutton held uh, as a dimeback, like right away. He could be a guy who comes in and does that at a decent enough level because that's what he was best at in college. That, that's his exact strength. Now, are you able to explain the Isaiah Loudermilk pick yet, or is it still with the trade and the the selection? Is it still confusing? <laughs> to me, I I don't know. I'm not going his film. I'm not. I'm not doing that. Kevin did that. Uh, and as as he said, as we've heard, I think uh, I think Jeff Hartman stated it on one of his podcasts. But uh, uh, Kevin Kevin came to us even in the chat and was like, "I don't, I don't understand this pick." Two things make sense to me. One is, two things are clear to me. I should say, one is the Steelers specifically wanted him. The Steelers specifically wanted. Loudermilk, Isaiah Loudermilk, uh, because they traded up specifically to get him. That is a move for a player, not just we need a defensive lineman. They wanted him specifically. And the second thing is, yeah, his college film may not look great. Yeah, he wasn't looked on as great. But I go back to Carlos Davis. I have never seen college film as bad as what I saw from Carlos Davis coming out of Nebraska. Like, I have never seeing college film that bad where he would just come out of his snap and already be like, he'd come out of his stance and the guy's already getting driven backwards. There were plays. He was like flailing at people. It looked like slap fighting when he would try and do a pass rush move. It, it looked like the, you know, the stereotypical view of like teenage girls slapping at each other. That's, that's what his hand work. It was terrible. He came in week nine and looked good for the Steelers. He looked like an NFL defensive lineman. He's one of the guys I'm excited for. So for me, like they they wanted him specifically, and if 
if Carl Dunbar wanted him specifically, then you know what? I'm okay with them trading up and do, I'm okay with them doing that. Uh, cause, cause Dunbar, like he may not have found like diamonds in the rough yet. You know, he's not sitting there getting in fourth round guys into Cam Hayward. Uh, but he has found a lot of players and turned and had them now like solid contributors. Isaiah Bugs played well last year. Carlos Davis played well last year. Even Henry Mondo, who's undersized and like doesn't really fit in the NFL, he played really well last year uh, for for a backup. So I, you know, I'll I'll give I'll give Carl I'll give Dunbar the the benefit of the doubt and say you know let's visit this kid in a year. Um, with that, we'll get back to our topic at hand here, and we'll welcome in Roger Myers uh, from Roll Bama Roll into the conversation. Roger, how are you doing tonight? Doing great. How are you guys? Oh, doing, doing quite great, man. Well. Good to have you. Glad to be here. Hey, your names there, Dunbar and uh, Isaiah Bugs. So yeah, <laughs> uh, Alabama ties. Yep, exactly. Um, so one of the reasons why uh, we were specifically pointed your direction uh, tonight was that you've uh, you've had a connection with uh, Najee Harris. Uh, can you talk a little bit uh, on what uh, your interactions with that running back uh, have been? Well, he's just um, we kind of met. We met mostly because um, we've gotten to be good friends with Jedrick Will's parents and family, whole family. When he was here and Najee and Jedrick came in together and were, were very close. So along with Leatherwood and Tua and some of those guys. So got to, got to be around him a little bit through that. And um, he's just, you know, as great a player as he is, he's just a fantastic human being. Has a has an amazing personality that, that's going to resonate with people. He's um, just is is he just he lights up a room when he when he comes in and he just I know I know you've been seeing a lot of interviews and things where you know his personality is showing through and I'm, he's just really really a unique young man you know with a a, a backstory that's not many people you know have had to go through and for him to come out come out of all that in his whole family it's just it's just really a Really, a great story, and uh, just real heartwarming to see to see what kind of human being he's turned into be. Um, with that kind of personality, what kind of impact did that have on his fellow teammates? I think um, I think it was a great, particularly the last couple of years. When, once he became full time starter. He was kind of feeling his way around the first the first year, and particularly he was, you know, and he said this in some of his um, in some of the little um, videos that have been out about about his journey to the pros. Um, he was homesick, culture shock. Said you know like the kids from South Florida, he couldn't even understand what they were saying <laughs> from the South in general. But he mentioned the ones from like Miami, which would have been Judy and. Jerry Judy and some of those guys, and and um, you know, and then he comes in as the number one player in the country, and I mean, he had what forty carries as a freshman or something. You know, like he did it. He was playing behind Damian Harris and Josh Jacobs, and um, and you know, he just there wasn't a lot of carries to go around. And then it, it picked up his sophomore year, and I think he, he started coming out a little bit more. And then, then uh, when Jacobs left and he became the full, full-time full guys his junior year, he really uh, – it really came forward. But this senior year, particularly with um, with all the strife and the 
country and, and all that. He really took a big leadership role. And he, he's the one that went and talked to Coach Saban about having the, having the, uh, the, the little the march um, before the season started where the, the whole team uh, marched to a famous landmark at the university where um, George Wallace had stood in the, stood in the schoolhouse door to keep, try to keep black students from entering back in the 60s. So they ended up there, and, and Najee just took a real big leadership role in that and went to Coach Saban and, and said that, you know, we want to do this. And Coach Saban told him, well, thank you. I'm glad you did because if I'd have said it, it wouldn't have been right. I needed you guys to come to me and say, let's do this. He said, I'm all in. So they went from there. So that, that kind of cemented that this guy has leadership qualities and uh, people following and it just went from there, and this, he was just so good this year. I mean, you know, you could always see the talent, but he just really bust, busted loose this year. And um, in my eyes, was by far the best running back in the country. What kind of person did the Pittsburgh Steelers just add to their team uh, over this past weekend? Uh, what, kind of, uh, what kind of personality are, are they welcoming into the locker room? It, it's going to – they're going to be incredibly impressed uh, with this young man. Just everything about him, his um, way he carries himself, the way he works. I mean, his work ethic is incredible. His, he's, he's got a, a playful side to his personality, joking around and stuff. But when, when, it's, when it's business time, it's business time. And, you're going to, and they're going to get you know, everything out of him. And then the fan base, the players are going to love him. The fan base is going to love him. He's just, he's just that, that he's got that it factor where people are drawn to him and, um, you know, and he'll do, he'll, he'll say funny things. And, you know, it's just, he's, I, I think a perfect fit for uh, the culture of Pittsburgh. I mean, just following them over the years with, you know, they've always had a, had a strong running guy. I mean, I started watching them with Franco Harris and Rocky Blyer when I was a kid and, and just have kind of watched them through the, I think um, skill-wise, maybe some Le'Veon Bell-type um, things because he can really catch the ball. And he um, didn't get a lot of chance to do that early in his career. In the last couple of years, he did. And um, SEC championship game, he, had, he caught three touchdown passes. And then he caught another one in the, in the championship game. And um, he's a great and he's a great blocker, he pass blocker, which was something he had to work on because obviously – coming out of high school was the, the number one guy. I'm sure they didn't call on him to, to block very often, but going to play at Alabama, you have to do that. And um, it, it, he got better and better as the years went on, and he was outstanding this past season in that role. But I think you know, the community is going to fall in love with him. I think the, the uh, you know, he'll, he'll have all type of uh, chances for – uh, advertising type things. I think people will just really, really fall in love with him. This is personality and his work ethic and his production on the field. One of the, one of the things we talked about with our, our previous guest was uh, the, the culture shock of coming from California to, to Alabama, yeah. but also the kind of incredible focus on Alabama football that there is in, in that area. Right. And, I kind of, I kind of was thinking because he came from a school watching those Road to the Pros videos. 
yeah. uh, he came from a school where he was saying, even though he was like the number one guy in the country around there, people didn't really even know who he was. Right. Like he wasn't a big deal in his hometown. And to go from, from that kind of a situation where he was a big fish and like, hey, I want people to know who I am. And then coming to an Alabama where everything you do is under a microscope and everyone, everyone is, knows who you are. Everyone knows what you're doing. Even, even if you're not getting, you know, even if you're not getting reps in the game, people are going to know who you are. Right. Uh, how much of a shock was that to Najee Harris to, to being under that kind of a microscope? I, I think, I mean, I think it was a severe shock and he, you know, and even that first year and Tua went through the same thing. It's like, you know, Tua was playing behind Jalen Hurts and I mean, he played in like nine games his freshman year and through, you know, like under a hundred passes. And then Najee, like I said, had 30 or 40 carries and it's like, I mean, we're the number one guys in the country. We're not playing. And they both kind of got, kind of got uh, disgruntled in a way, but they fortunately, in the championship game that year, their freshman year, that's when they, they came in and saved the day. When, um, when uh, Tua replaced um, Jalen at halftime in the Georgia game and they were behind it. And a lot of people don't know, um, Jonah Williams got hurt at left tackle. Alex Leatherwood came in, true freshman. Najee came in as the main running back in the fourth quarter during the comeback. Had Devontae and uh, Judy and Ruggs in all true freshmen. So they had the, the most important game of the year and the most important time of the year. They were running seven true freshmen out there that really did not play all that much that year. And Najee ripped off four or five just 15, 18, 20-yard runs uh, to help lead the comeback. Of course, when Tua hit hit Devontae with the winning pass in overtime. And so that getting that playing time, like, you know, reinforced that we do need to come, you know, we need to stay here. We need to stick with it. Uh, and I don't know how serious they really were about, about leaving, but, you know, I can understand, hey, are we going to be buried, you know, in this depth chart for a whole career? But um, they – they showed what they had at the biggest time and then just improved from there. What do you think uh, Najee Harris' biggest strength is when he's on the field? Oh, what's, uh, what's he going to really gash opposing defenses on the most? Gosh. Um, in the NFL, it might be catching the ball out of the backfield. But, I mean, you're, he's always going to get – three, four, five, eight yards. And, you know, in college, it was more like six, eight, ten yards on a carry when you don't think he has anything there. In the NFL, I mean, he's going to get that four yards, five yards on that, on each carry. And then and then he, as he went on, I, I, you know, people say he doesn't have top-end speed, breakaway speed. But this year, he ended up with uh, eight or ten 35, 40-yard uh, touchdown runs. But – he he had he was closing in on the career rushing record over Derrick Henry at one point, very very close behind him, and the longest run of his career at that point had been like 25 yards. And then late in the season, he started stacking up 35, 40 yard breakaways. But he's always going to get positive yards. I don't you just didn't see him, didn't see him get stopped at the line of scrimmage or lose yards. And he fumbled one time in his career, and it actually shouldn't have been a fumble. It was a play at the goal line where where he was stacked up 
and being pushed backwards in like five seconds later, the ball comes out and they, they ruled it a fumble. So ball security is, is fantastic. Blocking's great. Um, catching the ball's great. So I mean, you just got a complete guy. He's a three down, he's a three down back whatever league he plays in. Jeffrey, if you have any more questions you want to offer uh, Roger before we get to the top of the hour here, I'll, uh, I'll let you uh, take the floor. Yeah, I've got uh, one last question. Okay. Uh, Najee Harris is touted for being a leader across the board. Every time anyone speaks about him, they talk about his character and his leadership. And yet he wasn't a team captain. Yeah, I was almost got to that earlier, yeah. Okay, can you, can you speak to that? Well... All I can say is you can only have four, and these teams had incredible leadership. And he was more, I think, and he, I, th I don't think he minded that so much that he was going to do his thing regardless if he had a title on it or not. And, I mean, they went, you know, when you have the Heisman Trophy winner, you have the Outland, you have the blocking, the Outland Trophy winner, you have the, quarterback who was in top three in the in the uh, Heisman vote and then you have obviously defensive guys too it's like there's only so many so many picks to go around um but it, it was a little unusual Devontae was uh captain uh Gene Ransom year and then um so it was Devontae and Tua and and I think Jedrick is last year, and then this year it was Leatherwood, Devontae, and Mac, and then one defensive guy. So it's just like there's a lot of spots to go around, and, and, and it's almost like he showed leadership and saying, hey, elect these guys. I'm going to be leading you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead regardless if I have a title or not. I mean, I, I don't think it was an indication or a marker that he wasn't, he wasn't respected or liked or, or anything like that. I just think is is a numbers game. Terrific. Um, but I guess before uh, we sign out today, Roger, we really want to thank you for your time coming on and sharing some uh, some expert analysis on one of the newest Pittsburgh Steelers and uh, Alabama Crimson Tide great. So thank you so much for that. Thank you for having me. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Oh, it's our pleasure. And uh, I guess one other thing we got to do before we sign out, uh, Jeffrey, uh, yourself, if you have anything you want to plug uh, that's coming out on our website. Uh, yeah, uh, look for my film room. I got two film rooms coming out, one on pass blocking, one on run blocking for the Steelers' fourth round uh, pick, Dan Moore Jr. Uh, those are coming out, and just just stay tuned to the website. And uh, as for me, I just want to, as always, remind everyone to uh, click over to BehindTheSteelCurtain.com, your one-stop shop for all things Pittsburgh Steelers. Uh, also, if you love the draft coverage and you missed some articles and you want to learn some more about some of these players, you can go back. There are some streams uh, that talk about uh, exactly what the Steelers were able to do uh, in the draft. Uh, some film rooms that I know are coming out every single day. Uh, some knee-jerk reactions. Everything you could really ask for when it comes to analysis on this draft. It's on there at BehindTheSteelCurtain.com. And one last thing before we go. Also got to mention, uh, if you're listening on YouTube or Facebook right now, you're not getting all of our podcast content. Uh, you're missing out on... Uh, Jeff Hartman's Let's Ride that airs three times a week. Uh, you got Dave Schofield's uh, 
uh, Stat Geek, which comes out tomorrow morning. That would be uh, Thursday morning. And my uh, live mic, which comes out every Tuesday. So make sure uh, you're heading over to Apple Podcasts or Pandora or Spotify. Really, wherever you get your podcasts from, we're on there. Just search behind the steel curtain.com. I guarantee you will pop up. So once again, thank you for tuning in. Uh, for Jeffrey Benedict, my name is Michael Beck. Thank you for tuning in. We'll see you guys next week.